Will the Atlanta Falcons be facing C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson twice a year in a Carolina Panthers uniform? And if so, what are their weaknesses that the Falcons can exploit? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your own football franchise, then this is the game definitely for you. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app stores our listeners get a 100 free boost to their franchise when using the promo code locked on in all caps in the game so guys i want to thank everyone that makes locked on falcons their first listen each and every day of course all my everydayers out there that are checking out this show as their first listen each and every day and for those of you that are not everydayers well you got to make sure you subscribe or follow for free on youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts so today's episode is all about the quarterbacks in this draft class. Had a conversation with Mark Schofield of SB Nation over last weekend about the quarterbacks. We've already done these segments on Bryce Young earlier this week. We discussed Will Levis out of Kentucky this past week. Of course, Will Levis, I believe, is visiting the Falcons either today or tomorrow, as many of you guys are listening to this and heard conflicting reports about Anthony Richardson's visit, whether it was previously this month or later this month, whatever. But even though the Falcons, or at least we believe the Falcons, aren't in the market for a quarterback, it seems like one of these guys is going to land in Carolina. And the smart money, according to FanDuel, is Bryce Young will be that guy. So there's a lot of intrigue at the position. But without further ado, let's talk about the other guy that seems to be, you know, the runner up to Bryce Young. And that's going to be CJ Stroud. And we'll get into that conversation right now with Mark Schofield. So I'm here with Mark Schofield. Uh, to talk about the various quarterbacks. We've talked about Bryce Young. Let's talk about Mark's favorite quarterback in this draft class and C.J. Stroud of Ohio State. And for me with C.J. Stroud, I've I've gone through an interesting journey with Stroud over the last nine or so months because obviously last year was not a great quarterback class and everybody was, let's look forward to the the next quarterback class. And Mark, you and I have already had that discussion about this year's class and next year's class. We won't get into that on today's, but... Um, you know, when I sat down and watched CJ Stroud over the summer, I was a little disappointed because I thought I was going to see a guy that had, you know, all the boxes checked the, the way that people and watching him a little bit during the season, you know, I saw some things from him that made me think that. And for me, the, the thing that really stood out was the Michigan game a year ago in 2021, where Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo really got after him and you saw a decline in his mechanics questionable decisions, accuracy going all over the place. And it led to a narrative that kind of was pervasive with CJ Stroud um, over the course of this past year until the Georgia national championship game was that when things break down for him, when his receivers aren't going open, when the pass protection breaks down, you know, he may not be the guy that, you know, can, can make the plays there. But over the course of, of this past year, 
all the question marks I had for CJ Stroud, uh, you know, during the summer, mostly got checked. And it was the one area that you were worried about was, you know, that off structure ability that is so important in today's NFL, because especially for young quarterbacks and Mark, you and I have had this conversation. But for those new to the podcast that may have not heard us talk about it, you need that ability to make things right when things go wrong, because as a young quarterback, you're not going to have all the answers mentally from a standpoint. There's going to be things that NFL defenses can throw at you that you've never seen before. And so that sort of second reaction ability is, you know, critical to your success, uh, you know, at least early in the NFL. And that's a big reason why someone like Josh Rosen did not necessarily work out in the NFL. Um, but you, you you go into that Georgia game and you see that second reaction ability from CJ Stroud that you hadn't seen. And it wasn't necessarily the Georgia game, although that to me was really the moment where he put it all together and had his best game of the season against a really solid defense. But it was actually the Michigan game, the, the previous game for me, where I saw enough of it in that game where I couldn't just simply dismiss it as, oh, this is a one-off. He had a month to prepare against Georgia, that sort of thing. I saw a player, in it, and again, that Michigan pass rush, in 2022 was nowhere near the caliber it was in 2021. But I saw a guy that when the pressure was there, you know, was able to slide and move and and step up in the pocket and make throws. And so that issue no longer became an issue for me. And I'm just curious, sort of, you know, as you you were clearly a a fan of Stroud, you know, where do you sort of stand on his game and, and, and that one knock on him? When, when it comes to why people weren't necessarily in love with Stroud throughout this process. Yeah. It, until Anthony Richardson stepped on the turf at Lucas Oil Stadium, C.J. Stroud had perhaps the best closing argument out of any of these quarterbacks, right? That Michigan game into that Georgia game where the biggest question people had on him was, yeah, you're a jugs machine. We can set you up in the pocket. You can put the football exactly where it needs to be. But the second we move that jugs machine, you're getting throws all over the place because it also it's a breaks down. You can't really create as an athlete outside the pocket. You can't really create in the face of pressure. Well, what does he do? He does that against Georgia, you know, a team that went on to win their second straight national championship. A tremendous defense. It might see, again, two first-round picks in Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith and their defense up front. Now, Nolan Smith was obviously not in that game, but a tremendously talented defense. And so – that sort of closing argument I thought was fantastic. But like you sort of said, and like he talked about at the combine, if you go through his film, you can still see sort of glimpses and moments. And it's not certainly to the extent of Richardson or Young or some of the other quarterbacks in this class where he's creating outside the pocket. But there were moments, there were flashes. And I loved the sort of self-awareness that he showed at the combine. I was like, well, maybe I should have done it more. And yeah, I kind of regret it a little bit. Um, but I also had great receivers to throw to. And I loved what he said. Look, you know, if Marvin Harrison Jr. is wide open and I'm running around and picking up five yards and I'm not throwing it to him, I'm not doing my job. And I'm going to hear about it from him, from my coaches. And so I thought that was a great argument. But I really love the fact that, you know, what you saw in Georgia is what he can be. And when you add that athleticism and ability to create and respond to pressure and to handle things when they break down from an athletic standpoint, not just a mental standpoint, when you add that to the profile of, you know, a pure ball placement artist. I mean, it's music, it's poetry in motion, watching him throw sometimes and his ability to change up his footwork and his drops and adjust things and layer throws and attack leverage, regardless of coverage concept, regardless of rotation in the secondary, it's the complete sort of picture. I mean, in a couple of weeks when I start, you know, coaching spring football again, I'm going to be like, hey, 
quarterbacks. Like, this is what you want to do. Like, he's teaching tape at the position. And so, you know, again, Young and Stroud, they're both very good prospects. You know, where I just sort of come down on it is Stroud is so good in the pocket and has such potential outside the pocket. And the job ultimately is put the football where it needs to be, when it needs to be there, which he excels at. It all adds up to QB1 for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is other than the the off structure ability, is there any other issues that you you have? Any other? Yeah, I mean, look, like if you say a quarterback has to have twenty five different throws in the bag, right? There are some, and you know, chatted with some other people, talked with Matt Waldman about it recently. When he's got to layer a throw in front of safeties over the top he sort of trusts his accuracy a little bit too much and sometimes struggles with those. But I mean, we're really getting nitpicky there. I mean, that's like saying, look, you know, you've got a pitcher that's got five pitches, but that fifth one, the sort of backdoor slider, isn't as good as you'd like to see it. Okay. Well then throw the other four most of the time and like sneak that one here and there. Like it's one of those things where, yeah. Okay. He could do a little bit better, but he does everything else so well. Um, and I think the other sort of concern, you know, sort of a, a counter argument to the Georgia game is this. Is he going to do that? Is he actually going to do what he did against Georgia down in, down out, game in, game out of the NFL? Or is he just going to rely on what he's done in the past, which was I'm a pocket quarterback. I'm going to win from the pocket. It's great that he did it against Georgia, but is that just a one-off like you sort of said? And you know, maybe games, like you said, against Michigan and some of the other stuff, Michigan State, and some of the athleticism that he's shown in pre- previous games will carry over. But muscle memory is a big part of the position, you know? And and when it's third and seven and he sees that flash of green in the NFL, is he going to tuck it and go? Is he going to create? Or is he going to do what we've seen him do most often, which is I'm going to force a throw late in the down. And so, you know, that's sort of a counterweight to the George game, which is, okay, well, that was great, but is it something he's going to really do consistently at the next level? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think we're going to find out, right? It, it's yeah. going to get tested in the NFL and we'll, we'll have our answer with, right. with, can he do it more? Because he's going to have to do it more if he's going to have success, you know, especially as, as we discussed earlier, early in the NFL, because you are going to get challenged. Now we, we would love to live in a world where you go to the perfect system, where you have the best receiver core, the best offensive line. Yeah. And, 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 all and, those and also, honestly, Aaron, that always is also sort of a concern, right? What's it look like when he's not throwing to the JSNs, the Marvin Harrison Juniors, the Chris Olaves, the Garrett Wilsons of the world? Like, he's had two years with, you know, first-round receiving talent around him. I mean, it's going to be a little bit different, you know, when he gets to the NFL. You're going to have NFL receivers, but the guys he was throwing to at Ohio State are tremendously talented. So what does that part look like as well? Yeah, yeah. What, four first-round receivers, if you right. count Marvin Harrison Jr. next year, uh, you know, couple of first round tackles and a second round tackle, I think, you know, so yeah, you know, five stars, five stars, five stars. So obviously, as we said earlier, you know, it's not as if Alabama's going out there recruiting two, two stars or or anything. Right. Right. It's not necessarily super fair to knock Stroud for that and and not knock some of these other guys, especially someone like Bryce Young, but it is, you're right. Like that's going to be a challenge. it's, It's far down the list of things to worry about, but you know, Again, very nitpicky here when it comes to Stroud. I, I think he's 
Yeah, an extremely complete prospect. And and uh, yeah, like I said, like we're gonna find, especially if he goes to a team like Carolina, who, who's not gonna have those right. wide receivers right out of the bait. Maybe they have a you know they have the makings of a, a solid offensive line, but you know we'll, we'll get to see that. And so I think that's gonna be the fun aspect from a completely objective standpoint watching CJ Stroud in the NFL for a Falcon fan standpoint, maybe not necessarily to see him rise to that occasion if it happens to be in Carolina. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious again, player comps, I know you're not a fan of, but for me, you know, I've, I've seen the Jared Goff one. I've seen the Matt Ryan one. I, when I most recently watched him, I was like, you know, this feels a lot like Deshaun Watson when Deshaun Watson was at the top of his game back in Houston where you saw the accuracy, you saw the, the decision-making, you saw some of the playmaking ability, but it wasn't necessarily his calling card in Houston. Where do you, where do you fall on, on, on that type of comp for CJ Stroud? Yeah. I mean, I, I understood the sort of golf plus argument, like sort of earlier in the season. Um, I've seen a lot of Dak in, in recent days, which he's a, Dak's issue coming out of Mississippi State was ball placement. And so I, I think it's hard to make the Dak comp just because Stroud's calling card is ball placement. I, I think there's perhaps an athleticism overlay there that works. Um, you know, I, I do sort of think that, you know, I wonder about maybe a Romo comparison in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I okay. think that could sort of work. Um, but yeah, I mean, a mobile jugs machine might be the best comparison for him. Because again, like I said, you know, a jugs machine puts it exactly where it needs to be, but now it's a jugs machine on wheels that doesn't topple over when it's forced to move off its initial resting spot. So, yeah, I, as I said with Bryce Young, I think the same conversation if the Falcons wind up having to face CJ Stroud is, you know, move that jugs machine, right? Move the jugs machine off the spot and hopefully it was that one off, right? Yeah, so... Uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes for Carolina and whether or not they they wind up with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. But of course, there's a third quarterback that you know people think Carolina and various rumors indicate that Carolina might be looking at. And let's you know continue this conversation talking a little bit about Anthony Richardson of Florida as we continue today's Locked On Falcons. So, guys, of course, the Atlanta Falcons are doing their due diligence on Anthony Richardson, and Mark and I are going to do the exact same coming up on today's podcast. But first, I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM, and you've heard me talk about this fun new mobile game. And as you know, you're building your franchise, and I will give you guys a hint. In Ultimate Football GM, I was struggling until I got myself a quarterback, and that's all about what today's podcast is, and it's all about what you need to do in this game if you want to manage every strategic aspect of your team, hire coaches, coordinators, make trades, go through free agency, the draft, all the ups and downs of the season. Make sure you have a quarterback. If you have that, it's a challenging and realistic game world, right? All those challenges that they're throwing at you are are tough to overcome if you don't have a quarterback, right? And so if you want to you know, step up to those challenges, make sure you use our promo code locked on in all caps as L O C K E D O N in all caps in the game store. And you'll get a hundred percent free boost to your franchise. So if you want to participate, download the game by visiting ultimate GM.com or look it up in the app stores. Again, that's ultimate GM.com ultimate football GM start your dynasty today. So here with Mark Schofield breaking down the quarterbacks. We talked about Bryce Young. We talked about C.J. Stroud. Now it's time to talk about probably the quarterback that 
I wouldn't say is the most polarizing because Will Levis exists, but um, a, a fairly polarizing quarterback because you either love him or you hate him. I think it seems like most of the NFL draft community loves him. Um, it seems like most of the people that hate him are college football fans who subjected to watching him on Saturdays. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about Richardson, because going into the process, you watch him on Saturdays live and you're like, yeah, I don't know. You know, you see the tools, you see the talent. I don't know if it's there, but when you start going through the film and the all 22, you see a lot of things that you do like. And I, I feel like Richardson kind of is like, you're expecting a certain stereotype with him, the, the big athletic, you know, toolsy guy that, you know, doesn't necessarily do all the details things. And then you watch the film, you see, okay, the details look pretty good. Yeah. You know, the, the pocket movement, handling pressure, the going through his reads, decision-making he's checking all of those boxes and so the main concern with Richardson, for me at least, is the accuracy and the lack of experience. And, you know, typically in the NFL, that is not a successful combination. When you get to the NFL, we've seen a lot of quarterbacks that had great tools, great arm, but the ball placement, the mechanics, right? Those types of things, you know, led to and, and not ha necessarily having experience in while the NFL is great for development, it isn't necessarily as good as just getting on the field. And when you're, you know, getting those reps against Von Miller and Calais Campbell, you know, that's the tough to overcome when, you know, versus some of the guys that you'll be facing at the collegiate level. So I'm, I'm curious where you sort of fall on, on Anthony Richardson and sort of is it is it fair to say a lot of why people like him is because they kind of went into it with low expectations? I mean, that's probably part of it. I, I think, you know, again, being in Lucas Oil for his throwing session and his workout, you could feel the conversation shift over the course of three hours where it was, yeah, he's maybe a top 15 player in this class too. Man, he could really go first overall. Um, and a team could take that wild swing on the potential there. Now, the most fascinating thing about him is, like you said, this this idea that he's raw. I think you throw that out the window. Because like you talked about, a lot of the details are there. A lot of times the eyes are where they need to be. You know, the reads are right. The progression work that he does is impressive. His ability, he had a throw against South Florida on a smash concept where they spin the safeties and he reads it perfectly. He moves the flat defender downhill with his eyes and throws the corner out on time and rhythm. It's like, what else do you need to see? I mean, that's quarterback in at a pretty high level. Um, but there are accuracy concerns ball placement concerns and i think from where i stand it's sort of a lower body mechanical slash lack of playing time and reps issue that i think can get sorted out but anytime you're looking to sort that out from the nfl from the college game to the nfl it's oftentimes a failed proposition like there are examples there are proof of concepts such as josh allen and i think that is if it comes together for richardson the model for him because you know, when you saw that combine workout and you see those tested numbers, people are like, well, what is a 40.5 inch broad army vertical do for a quarterback? He's not jumping to throw. And it's like, no, he's not. I mean, unless he's Tim Tebow and you're doing that sort of jump past it on the goal line. But it means that he's an explosive athlete. And what does that mean for a quarterback? It means torque in the upper body, torque in the throw in motion, which leads to velocity, which leads to Anthony Richardson having an extra half second to a full second at times to read out a concept. And how does that matter? How does that play? 
Well, let's take Josh Allen. I remember a throw he had against Green Bay in Lambeau Field his rookie year, throwing an out loud left sideline, right hash mark, and he's Aaron. He's staring at it. He's and I'm watching it live. I'm watching it, you know, on all 22, and I'm like, "You're gonna get this ball out, Josh." And I'm like getting nervous. Waits to the last possible second and throws an absolute rocket because he had that time. He had that explosiveness as an athlete, that torque in his upper body. And so that's going to be a huge thing for Richardson because he's going to have more time in the pocket. So when you throw it a dig route, he can take more time, you know, an extra half second, and the ball will still get there when it needs to be there. And so that's going to certainly help him. And so, yes, there are things he needs to fix. And maybe he's not somebody that you're going to look at and say, yeah, he plays week one. But I still think he can play as a rookie. I think he can play fairly early. But if you're a team like, say, Seattle, if you're a team like, say, Detroit, and you don't need him to play right away, maybe you follow that Mahomes path where it's like, okay, we'll draft him, but we'll let him sit for a year and sort of work on some things, and then we can sort of let him go in his second year and see what happens. Yeah. You, you talk about proof of concept, and I remember a couple of years ago we had similar conversations about Trey Lance. Yeah, where the big question on him was accuracy issues. And but you saw all the physical tools, you saw all the decision making that you wanted to see. We haven't necessarily seen that come to fruition so far. Some a lot of that is owed to him getting hurt. So, you know, you don't want to necessarily write off Trey Lance. But I'm just curious, comparing those two guys, you know. Where do you sort of stand on Richardson in, in comparison to a player like Lance? I've got a higher grade on Richardson. And I liked Lance, um, as we talked about. And part of what we talked about in that proof of concept was, hey, man, get him to San Francisco. That's the same offense he's running North Dakota State. That's what happened. And then it hasn't quite come together. Injuries and other you know, factors have played a role in that. I think Richardson's more schematically diverse. You know, I, I think you could drop him in an offense like San Francisco's. You could drop him in a more spread style, style system. You could put him in Atlanta's offense. I think that would be a very good fit for him as well. And so I think because he's more schematically diverse, because there's a depth to his game, I think, that Lance didn't really have, um, I think that certainly helps him as well. And I think that some of the issues that you see with Richardson, there's, again, that proof of concept of how it could sort of work out for him. The fact that his eyes tend to be where they need to be, I think, is a huge check mark in his favor. And so I've got a higher grade on Richardson as a prospect than Lance. I liked both. I just think Richardson, the fact that his eyes really impressed me for the most part. And maybe that's just sort of an offshoot of the discussion. Well, oh, he's raw. He's raw. He's like, no, he's not. Um, maybe I'm wildly overcorrected on that, and time will tell. But I do think that he's farther along as a prospect than, say, where Lance was. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, as you mentioned, you know, with Jalen Hurts' success this past year, it, it does seem to open the doors a little bit for – someone like Richardson, because we, we've seen with Jalen Hurts, a player that progressed every year yeah. that he was a starter in the NFL, you know, started out. And I know you you wrote about it. I know we had this conversation in the past as well, where, you know, Jalen Hurts, the lack of size and not being able to throw over the middle. And you've seen progressively each year that become less of an issue than it was, you know, seeing it, reading it. And then also obviously Philadelphia leaning in to the running ability that he possesses. Uh, makes a, a ton of sense. And so I think, you know, it's very timely for Anthony Richardson to come out this year because you just had a season where Jalen Hurts went to the Super Bowl, was within a drive of winning that game, was the MVP runner-up. And so a lot of people are like, well, just do that with Anthony Richardson. Uh, is that a fair statement? I think so. And let's remember, 
when Anthony Richardson gets drafted in the first round, he can't celebrate legally with a beer. Like he's not 21 yet. He's very young and people progress. They, you know, get better over time, not just in NFL quarterbacking, but in life. Like you're, you're not a finished product at 20 years old as an NFL quarterback or quarterback prospect. You're not a fish. I wasn't finished at 20. Thank God, because you know, I had a lot of growing to do. Um, And so I think again, sort of that, you know, look at Jalen Hurts. And I think that's a lot of the reason why you're seeing a lot of, you know, Richardson to Indianapolis, because obviously they're, you know, their new head coach helped develop Jalen Hurts. And so there's proof of concept from a coaching standpoint, right? Like if you were to take that sort of swing on Richardson, you know, you're going to need to develop him. Look at, a, you know, your new, your new head coach that helped develop Jalen Hurts and get him to where he needs to be. And so, you know, I think that certainly is something to keep in mind. Quarterbacks do improve over time. Like they, they get better. For the most part, you know, sometimes they don't, but you can develop a quarterback in today's NFL. You, they don't need to be a finished part of coming out. There are things that Richardson certainly needs to work on, but in the right kind of offense that, and it doesn't need to be like, I think one of the worst things that can happen to Richardson is he goes to a coaching staff that thinks we need to give him a one read and tuck and go kind of system, right? Where it's like, Anthony, if this out route isn't there, then just take it up. No. Let him play quarterback because he can play quarterback from the pocket. He can work through reads. He can work through progressions. He can move defenders with his eyes. Don't put the training wheels on. If anything, do the absolute opposite. Give him your full offense and let him go. Okay. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the rest of this quarterback class. Uh, Hinton Hooker, uh, the Tennessee quarterback, seems to be the consensus QB5. Uh, and, and, you know, everybody's looking for the next Brock Purdy. So, uh, you know, got to ask you a question, Mark, who, who's going to be the next Brock Purdy? So we'll we'll, we'll get into that, uh, you know, to pull, pull out your crystal ball with that as we continue today's Locked Off Out. So, of course, guys, there's still more to come on today's quarterback conversation. We got to talk about Hendon Hooker of Tennessee, Jake Hayner of Fresno State, Dorian Thompson Robinson of UCLA, and, of course, Stetson Bennett of Georgia. This is what it's all been about leading up to this moment, guys. 50 plus minutes of quarterback conversation is all to build up to Stet Quavius. So the crescendo of today's quarterback conversation with Mark Schofield of SB Nation just right ahead. Just wait. We're getting there. So uh, here with Mark Schofield talking about this 2023 quarterback class and we talked about the big four quarterbacks. Let's talk about the fifth guy, Hinton Hooker. Um, you've seen some recent mock drafts that are suggesting that maybe he goes in the first round. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm very skeptical of that. It feels like we do this every year. Like we did. Right. Right. Like Desmond Nathan Ritter Peterman, Desmond yeah. Ritter, Davis Mills, like yeah. uh, Davis Webb. Like, Davis Webb I, is I feel my like favorite one. Every, yeah. <laughs> and I remember being down at Mobile for Davis Webb Senior Bowl. And it's like, we're really going to make him a first round. I just don't know. But we do this every single draft season, right? Where it's like, all right, well, we've got the guys that are going to be in the first round. Let's see if we can sneak. Mason Rudolph was another yeah. one, right? Like, we, we do this. And so I don't know if Hendon Hooker is just – we've reached this part of the calendar where it's like, oh, okay, time to find that fifth first-round quarterback. Or if there's – because I have – I've heard legitimate buzz about Detroit eight, at 18. I've heard legitimate buzz about Minnesota at 23. Like, he's apparently going to visit Washington at 16. Uh, I was on a, a show in D.C. this week where they're like, yeah, uh, we're going to draft him at 16. And I'm like, are we going to get to New England at 14? Like, how high are we going to go here? And so maybe we see it. Yeah. But I, I I, still feel like it's just 
all right, it, it, it's getting to be mid-April. We're getting bored. We're getting antsy. Let, let's. We need to get to the draft. We need to fill some some airtime here. Let's let's find another QB in the first round. Yeah, I, I'm at a point where I'll believe it when I see it because yeah, I, you've seen this song and dance before. But you know, the case for Hendon Hooker, I, I, I like Hendon Hooker. The player he reminded me a lot of was Geno Smith when yeah. Geno was at West Virginia, and you know, the interesting thing about Geno was it, it took Geno a while. To, to, to get there you know eight years we saw it this past year kind of come together for Gino finally and part of me sits here and wonders okay like obviously you can't necessarily say it's going to be the exact same situation they're two different players but given Hooker's age given his injury that he's coming off of you know he's going to be 25 as a rookie like d- d- he's going to be a little bit of a project right because he's coming from an offense that doesn't traditionally translate well you know, and then he played in a more pro style, you know, and I'm curious to pick your brain because I, I didn't go back and watch this Virginia Tech film. But a lot of people say that that was more pro style type of offense, more things that he did at Virginia Tech that it will apply to what he does in the NFL as opposed to what he did at Tennessee this past year. And he wasn't necessarily great in that offense. And so is that a so I'm just curious, where where are you on Hendon Hooker, his developmental potential? Is this a guy that's probably destined to be more of a Geno Smith career backup? And, you know, maybe at some point in his 30s, he'll, he'll figure it out and, and, and turn a corner. Or is this a guy that you could see, you know, on his rookie contract turning into a, a pretty good starting quarterback? Yeah, I'm more the former in that, you know, he's probably somebody that's going to follow that sort of back up to potential starter down the road path when somebody you're going to draft and say, all right, it's year two. Here you go. Here's the keys to our offense. Go take us to the playoffs. He's got some growth to do. And I think, you know, he's got three things that are sort of working against him. Now there are arguments for, uh, to push back on each three, like there's the age thing, right? Well, he's an older prospect. Quarterbacks are playing earlier in their careers and they're playing longer in their careers. And so, you know, the fact that he's of an advanced age as a quarterback prospect, which, you know, is is silly for somebody of my advanced age to say. Um, I think you can kind of dismiss that. There's the ACL. It's like, okay, well, he's almost ready to go full speed anyway. He'll probably be ready for training camp. Medical science has come so far that an ACL doesn't knock you out for a season plus anymore. It's, you know, you do your rehab work and you're going to be ready the next year. And so I think you can sort of push back on that. The The biggest hurdle is perhaps the offense. Because like you said, it's this sort of Baylor-esque, Art Riles-esque offense that Josh Heupel's running and in a sense Hooker might be say three years ahead of his time you know if you think back to like Prima Holmes and all the questions about air raid quarterbacks and is this offense going to work in the NFL now we see it if you're an air raid quarterback doesn't matter because not only have we seen proof of concept in the NFL but you're getting NFL you're getting coaches in the NFL that ran air air raid offenses in college you're getting you know an influx of air raid style coaches into the NFL and more prospects running those offenses in the NFL whereas this offense it still might be a couple of years away from a same similar evolution where coaches from the hypo tree and others work their way into the NFL so maybe he's a couple of years ahead of his time in that way which might lead to him taking some time to sort of get an opportunity to be a starter and things like that and so you know, I think he's probably going to follow that slow process to a starting job. It's not going to be overnight, um, but there are some things to like about his game. Certainly, he can you know push the ball downfield. He certainly had production, which is hard to ignore. But a lot of it was a function of that offense. And you know, if you want to find an example of him going full field, one, two, three, four, five, into his checkdown, 
you're going to be watching a lot of film to find it. Uh, the offense was a lot of half field reads and sometimes single receiver reads. Um, but it, it worked on Saturdays. It's going to be a pro- probably a couple of years before you see it clicking for an NFL team on Sundays. And maybe when that day comes, he'll be the one running it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what, what happens with him and hooker, you know, my, my stance on, on Hinton Hooker, and obviously it's not the case with the Falcons, but if I was an NFL team, I'd be like, I'll let somebody else develop him for the next right, years. Right, right. One, one of the more brilliant sort of social media lobs I've seen in the past couple of days, I forget who, I think it was Bruce Nolan from Buffalo Rummage, but somebody put out the question of who are the players in this class that you want to see somebody else draft? Like you might like them as a prospect in a vacuum, but you'd rather another team go down that road. Cause you're just not sure it's going to work out. Hooker's probably that from the quarterback group, right? Like I like some of the things that he's done. I don't want to see the Patriots draft him. You know, I'd rather the jets draft him and maybe it works out for them. If so, you know, tip your hat, maybe not. Um, I, I'd rather see a, another team go down that road. Right. Yeah. I, I, I want Hinden hooker at age 29 when he's had four years of development, in an NFL offense, that's the guy I want. I don't want the right. Hayden Hooker at 25 coming off the ACL injury that I have to put in all that work. I I, I want to steal the product after you've put in all the, the, the work. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, I don't want to buy the beat-up, you know, muscle car that needs a new engine, that needs all new tires, but I'll pay the extra down the road if I have to, to get the finished product. Like yeah. I, I don't want to put in the work. I want to see if you can fix it. And if you can fix it and make it run race, then I'll buy it. Yeah. 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 And I'll, I'll, I'll be willing to pay I'll, a premium. I'll be willing that. to pay the premium for yeah. it. Sure. I just look these hands. I, I'm not a mechanic. I can't fix that. <laughs> yeah. So let somebody else fix it and let I'll, I'll take advantage of it down that, the road. That, that has been something that I've thought more and more about with the draft. And this is like, yeah, I could see it working out for that guy, but I don't want to put in the work. Well, it's like the Rams model, right? Like forget draft picks, let other teams get the players to where they need to be. They will give up first rounders for the finished product. Like Mm -hmm. maybe there's an argument to be made. It worked at the Super Bowl. Now, obviously they are where they are, but they've also got a nice big shiny rain and a nice big trophy in their offices to show for it. Yeah, definitely. So let's get to the, the question that we will be asking in perpetuity. Uh, who is the next Brock Purdy? I'm just so glad we've evolved from the who's the next Tom Brady. And then then it was who's the next Dak, right? So now we're to the who's the next Brock Purdy. Um, If I had to place a lottery bet, my two bets would probably be on Jake Hayner and Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Okay. Uh, like when we get into the sort of day three, and, and we also have the other cliche, right? When we get to start talking about the day three guys, it used to be, oh, this guy's Colt McCoy. Like he may never be a top flight starter, but you know he's going to be their top flight backup squad starter for 15 years. Now that's become the the Taylor Heineke, right? And I sort of think that Jake Hanner's that in this class. Where like I don't know if he's ever going to be an upper tier or even a middle of the road NFL starter, but if nothing else, he's your long term backup squad starter for 10 years in the NFL. He's you watch that game against UCLA a season ago where he had like a broken hip basically, and he's gutting them to a win. And it's like. Give me that guy on day three. And DTR fascinates me. One, because he's just so much fun to watch because he just talks mad, mad junk on the field, man. And I kind of like that at a quarterback. And he's athletic. And more than that, though, again, 
Chip Kelly's offense somewhat simplified in the passing game, but you're seeing examples of time and rhythm anticipation throws. It, it maybe it's not full field reads or anything like that, but it's like, all right, I I can work with that. You know, especially if you get fourth, fifth round, I can make that work. And if you're a team like say, you know, Seattle, and you don't go quarterback at five, or you don't go QB in the first round, but you want to take a sort of developmental prospect behind Geno Smith, there you go. I think Baltimore, you know, if they if Tyler Huntley is their starting quarterback because Lamar is suddenly a New England Patriot, yes, we're manifesting today, um, then, yeah, you know, DTR will be a fantastic option for them. I mean, even Atlanta, if you're not going to go quarterback early and you decide, look, we're going to give this a run with Des Ritter, but we want to take somebody that maybe down the road we could develop into something, DTR will be an option there too. No. Don't ask me it. This is Locked on Falcons. And there's a local team that has a quarterback that's in this draft. What about Stetson Bennett? What, what are your thoughts on him? I I talked about this earlier this week with Matt Waldman. I kind of like him more than sort of the consensus meme ability of Stetson Bennett. I mean, we all know the jokes. I've made them too, right? Someday I'm going to buy an Audi from him and he's going to rip me off. But it's okay because it's Stetson Bennett and he's won a couple of national titles. I mean, we know the jokes about Stetson Bennett, but... The thing is, Georgia didn't ask him to do almost anything at the quarterback position, right? Because they had so much talent around him. It was a lot of bubbles and swings and throws. But when they did ask him to read a concept over the middle, rip a dig route, he could do it. And he's got more velocity, I think, than people perhaps give him credit for. And we all talk about Shroud against Georgia and what a you know career, a prospect-defined moment it was for him. I know one of the touchdowns he had was a sort of fall-down bust situation, but Bennett sort of hung with him in that game. And that impressed me too. And so, again, when you get to day three, I understand the reservations, you know, size concerns, and he wasn't asked to do a ton. But, yeah, I we get it to say round six, round seven, I draft him because I think there's something there to work with. And, again, it could be a, you know you're getting maybe some of the pushes for QB2 eventually. Sure. I, I've We've talked a lot, Aaron, over the years about the need to upgrade a backup quarterback and the need to have a good quarterback room. And the other thing is this. He tested pretty well. So if it doesn't work out at QB, are we talking Julian Edelman 2.0? Maybe. <laughs> um, so, you know, there are options there, too. I mean, so you're going to see him in an AFC Championship game, lining across a wide receiver and playing in the slot like we saw with Edelman against Anquan Bolden, which still gives me heart palpitations. Uh, maybe. So, I'm a little bit higher on him than sort of the meme consensus has been. Um, I, you know, the idea that he's going to sneak into day two or anything like that, I I think is kind of not, that's not going to happen. But when you start getting into rounds four or five, yeah, I'd give him a look. Certainly. Yeah. I'm I'm of a similar mind. Like I've heard from Georgia fans over the last two years, he's terrible. And every time I sit down and watch Georgia, I'm like, but he's kind of good though. Like, yeah, he's not like, Again, good or anything like that. Yeah, like, you're not trying to throw it like dude all day, game, but like the things they asked him to do, he did it pretty well. And uh, again, you're you're throwing darts at that point in the draft anyway. And a guy that won two titles, a guy that again overcame a lot because you know it's not like Georgia handed him the starting job on a silver platter and said, "Yeah, you're our guy. Go go win it, champ." It was like. You know, even into his second year this past season, it was like, are, are we still convinced he's the guy and he's coming off a title? It's like, are we still convinced about him? Because I don't know. I guess yeah. that speaks some some volumes, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, if if I'm a team and I'm just like, 
I want someone to come in and and with a chip on his shoulder and to push my guy. Like he's probably the guy I want to bring. He's in. the guy in this class, right? Yeah, especially at that point of the draft. Yeah. So you know the the sets and Bennett slander. You know it's it's all funny, but it's like to me, it's like I think I think he's gonna be. Again, I'm not gonna sit here and say he's gonna be Tom Brady or he's gonna be Brock Purdy, but like you, you mentioned Colt McCoy, like I think Stetson Bennett's gonna be playing football twelve plus years from now. Probably. And I mean, he will ultimately be the best out a Audi salesman in the state of Georgia. It might just be when he's fifty and sixty, not twenty-five thirty. <laughs> there you go. So uh, that that that's gonna do it for us here. That's the that's the period at the end of the sentence here on this quarterback conversation. That Mark and I have had now uh, over the course of probably multiple days at this point in time. Um, but Mark, my friend, I really appreciate you sharing your insight into this quarterback class. As always, everybody is fascinated to see where these guys wind up going. And then three years later, we pretend our rankings. No. Yeah. Like when I, CJ no, Stroud doesn't pan out, like, no, no, man. I was no, telling no. you guys, Stetson yeah. Bennett was the guy to draft in this draft class. <laughs> Uh, you know, so I what do so what did we start talking about? Uh, Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr. and, and Drake May. Yeah, yeah. May you what? Know, I still, <laughs> you know, still there's still part of me that wants to buy in the Spencer Rattler as well. You know, it's just like I, every time I see him flick one of those forty yeah, yard bombs, yeah, like I mean, sixteen E's against Clemson school record. I mean, finish strong. I'm back. there, baby. I'm, I'm back. So yeah, you know, KJ Jefferson, Jaden Daniels, all those guys. It's yeah, it's gonna be. I'm looking forward to that conversation that we're going to have at some point in the next six months about next year's quarterback class, just like every quarterback class is always fascinating. But Mark, my friend, let the people know where they can find your stuff over at SB Nation and elsewhere. Yeah, well, Aaron, it's it's always a blast. Love coming on. This this was a fantastic run of shows here, talking about this class. It, it, it's such a good group. But I know we're going to be doing it again in a couple of weeks, probably, <laughs> talking about, like you said, uh, Spencer Rattler, Jalen Daniels. I mean, you know. It's a, we're always looking ahead to the next quarterback class. We do it every single year. Um, but SBNation.com, at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Aaron, my friend, always a blast. Can't wait to chat again soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, guys, that's going to do it for us on today's episode. Uh, you know, I want to once again thank everybody that makes Locked on Falcons their first listen each and every day. And, again, for the rest of you, you got to step your game up. Make sure you subscribe to Locked on Falcons on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. That's going to do it for us uh, this week on Locked on Falcons. If you're still fiending for a little bit more of that Falcons conversation, by all means, Drop by on the Discord, the Locked on Falcons Discord, link in the description below, on Saturday, uh, tomorrow, as many of you guys are checking this out, at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and we talk Falcons, right? It's basically a Twitter space exclusively for the Discord, so if you want to join, just click the link in the description below, right? Show up at 3 p.m. They go for a couple hours, so if you can't make it by 3, we'll probably still be there at 4, 5, 6, sometimes even 7 and 8 o'clock uh, p.m. Eastern time, so Go check us out if you're wanting to get more into this conversation on the Falcons. But more great things are coming your way on Locked on Falcons, the podcast next week. Some more great guests like Mark Schofield. But want to make sure you guys continue to make us your first listen. And for your second listen, why not check out the Locked on NFL Scouting podcast with the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, breaking down what it takes to build a successful NFL franchise each and every day, talking about the Devin White trade value on our most recent episode. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On NFL Scouting with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 
your team every day.